Welcome to the Select Star Podcast, your resource for innovative technology, developer topics, and more. Here's your host, Margo McCabe from the Harper DB team. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Select Star Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Today, we are speaking with Ben Matthews, who is a director of engineering at Stack Overflow, which I'm sure you've heard of. Um, so thank you, Ben, for tuning in. It's great to chat with you. Thank you for having me on. Great to chat with you. Yeah. And I know we were just saying it's crazy that we're already getting towards the end of the year and the holidays and everything. Um, so I'm sure things are about to get kind of crazy. So <laughs> it's always yeah. good to be able to connect with a few more folks before that happens. And you're you're based in Georgia. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm in Atlanta. Um, okay. Yeah, part, people in Stack were all over the place, a global company, and I'm lucky enough to be where it's a little bit warmer this time of year. <laughs> nice. Yeah, we're out here in Colorado and we're kind of getting the uh, fall weather now that we always look for in like September, October, where it's just been really nice 60s, like not too extreme. So I hope it stays for a little longer. <laughs> well, you're one of the few places I want to be when it gets cold. I, if I am cold, I want to be on a mountain strapped to a snowboard. No yeah. other time do I want to be cold. That's fair. <laughs> awesome. So yeah, before we jump into it, would love to hear just a little bit about kind of your background, journey in tech, how you got to where you are today. Yeah, I mean, um, I kind of started where I think a lot of people end up getting into tech, especially around the time that I was getting into it, was I had no idea really what I wanted to do. I know some of the things I'd like to do, but um, especially at the time I was uh, getting exposed to computer science and programming, it was very much framed as that office space type of culture of you sit in a cubicle for eight hours, you plug away at a keyboard, and every once in a while you get to talk to a human being and then you go home. And, and that sounded like torture to me. I really didn't want that. I, I liked interacting with people and I liked solving problems, um, which is why I enjoyed my computer science classes in college because it was just a series of challenges that you got to, to got to solve. Uh, but I didn't know if that's what I wanted to do with with you know my whole career going forward. So and I think how I sort of fell into this programming path really just became from a hobby that turned into a career. My very first job was actually as a, a QA engineer at a startup. Uh, so I got to see how software development was in the real world while I was helping them find their bugs and, and customize this application. Um, but what I realized was a lot of this was more based around collaboration and working with people than it was just working with ones and zeros. And that's where I really started to get into it. Uh, from there, I actually transitioned from a QA into a dev, and I really did kind of fall in love with it, of just a new challenge that I got to solve in unique ways. And I've said this for a long time. I really think programming is more of a creative exercise than a technical or, or a mathematical one. You're finding new creative ways to solve a problem that there's a dozen completely valid ways to solve. So that's where the creativity comes in. And working with other people on how to solve that's just really rewarding. And my um, first job at a marketing agency where we had dozens of different clients and I'm hitting file new project every other week and solving something new is where it really kind of hit my stride and getting a broad view of the several different ways and dips, types of problems that we face and that we can solve with technology, with technology just being a tool in the tool belt, not being the, the end result for a lot of these things. From there, I, I transitioned into management because of seeing the other places where I could build things and solve problems were not just, you know, in creating the applications, but enabling teams and other people 
to do that for themselves and do that in stronger uh, and more creative ways. Uh, just taking some of the stuff I've learned and a lot of coaching and mentoring, which I started to really enjoy, uh, I transitioned into management and I've been doing that ever since in a couple of different industries, a couple of different companies. Uh, and now it's Stack Overflow where I'm lucky enough to do it for one of the largest communities around technology in the world. Awesome. Thank you. That's helpful. And I, I really like the reminder that you bring in about the creativity aspect of all of this, because I think looking from the outside or maybe when people are getting started, it, it could be easy to assume that a lot of coding and dev work is like very black and white and that the answer is always mm -hmm. clear. I'm trying to think of an industry where that is true, like maybe accounting or something where it's a little more like, straightforward, but that is so true. And I hear our team and other people talking about that all the time. Like there could be 10 different ways to get from A to B. And it's really about, as you said, bringing in that creative aspect and combining that with the other knowledge you have to figure out what the best, most efficient, like what's going to be the best thing for the product and for mm -hmm. our customers and for later on when someone else is looking at this code and that they can understand it. And I, I think that's a really interesting um, just reminder for people to to think of. And if, if they're thinking about getting into dev work and think it might be like boring or straightforward, that there is a lot of critical thinking that goes into it. Yeah, I, I think you bring up a bunch of great points, especially for beginners. Um, I was speaking at my old university for people trying to get into computer science and I reminded them like this, this stuff is intimidating to, to mm -hmm. first timers that are seeing code for the first time. It looks like Klingon. It doesn't like it's just <laughs> ones and zeros and random symbols. Right. And once you get more familiar with it, you know, it gets more comfortable, but you still get asked questions that we see a lot on Stack Overflow or the communities of, is this the right way to do things? And as you get further and further along and more comfortable and working with technology, your answer becomes more and more often. Well, it depends. And it, like, as you were saying, like for the customer, what the product needs, like all of those are variables that go into this equation of what's the right way. Mm -hmm. And uh, like you bring up accounting, like, yeah, if you don't do accounting the right way, you might go to jail, right? That <laughs> If you don't code something the right way, you just have to go back and fix it and maybe deal with an outage, but, and yeah. you learn your lessons that way. So right. I really encourage people, especially new folks of, of just try it, that this is kind of a, um, uh, last five, six years or so have been sort of a golden age for development of tools are free, hosting is free, uh, like languages are free with so much content on how to learn and try things that it's pretty a fantastic time to get into development. Mm -hmm. um, and don't be so worried about whether or not you're doing it right or wrong. Do it the way that you think is fun or creative or, or is right at the time. And if you make a mistake, you know, join the rest of us. We've done it a hundred times ourselves. Right, <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. And so you mentioned now that you're leading a team at Stack Overflow, is there, is there something specific that you and your team are focused on? Um, like, are you focused on a certain part of the stack or like a certain part of the product? Um, mm -hmm. and also curious in addition to that, just kind of what it's like leading an engineering team. Um, I know people sometimes think that that's like, the trajectory of you become an engineer, a senior engineer, and then a manager, mm. but like not everyone should be or wants to be actually leading a team. So I'm always curious what people say of like, what are some of the biggest challenges? What's it like? What do you like about it? Things like that. That's a great question, um, especially around the trajectory of, of someone growing that, um, you know, th that was sort of the prescription for a while of you'd kind of just kept getting promoted until you failed into mm -hmm. something that you didn't want to do anymore. 
um i think luckily now we've identified that that's a sh that was a shortcoming of our industry yeah um that there's some people who want to be in the code all day every day and that's totally fine and i i've had people that do that that commanded higher salaries than i i was managing them and they still got paid more than i did mm -hmm. and told made total sense because they were more valuable to the organization than, than i was they were there longer they had more context um and I'm glad that we're starting to identify that. Um, but for people who do want to take that step into management and, and leading, um, you really just have to see if that's something that you're passionate about, of working with other people and enabling others to code better, as opposed to just coding yourself. Um, sadly, I don't, I, I'm not in the code every day anymore, at least not for Stack Overflow. Probably a smart move. I don't push to production for them anymore, but I still code every day. I, just for fun, um, my side projects or some open source projects, I, I still love to do it. So I don't have to turn that part of myself off. But if you do enjoy um, working with these big pieces of what it takes for an organization to work together, where I'm working with the marketing team, creative team, QA and development, um, that's sort of exciting to see new ways to build things, not just with code, but with teams all trying to work towards the goal. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And um, I think that's probably a common sort of thought process that, you know, if you're going to be leading the team, you have to remember that you're not going to be like getting your hands dirty and, and doing the coding. And some people might miss that. Some people might really enjoy that, but then it's good that you are keeping up these side projects and like keeping up your knowledge so that you still have that understanding and awareness and can give that feedback and can still like work with your team when needed. So it sounds like it's, you, you have a good balance of, um, staying relevant and keeping that knowledge while also, you know, you have to have the people skills of managing. And as you said, blending different teams and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, I, I do think that's an important aspect for a leader. Uh, some people are not highly technical in my role and that's totally fine. There's different strengths that come with that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've always enjoyed being able to speak the same language, do code reviews with some of the folks and, and go through the architecture sections with them. Um, for me, that's another really rewarding part. But you asked like some of the parts that we work on in Stack Overflow. Most of my teams work on uh, what we call the community product side, okay. which means if you've interacted with Stack Overflow for free without paying money, this is what uh, uh, some of my teams handle. We have a very large community product organization where I work with other directors, um, a fantastic group that's, you know, we're, we're all were Stack Overflow users long before we were Stack Overflow employees. Right. And with that comes some passion on being invested in the community which is something very lucky to have at any organization, Stack Overflow or anywhere else, that you know you have a passion around the product. You see the value it provides because it also enriches things for you. Um, and so leading that sort of team that works with other engineers and being an engineer yourself, super rewarding. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And, and that's a great point. I was just talking with one of my colleagues about that earlier today. Like when you talk to someone that you can really tell whether they're actually passionate about the product that they are either representing or building or working on, or if they're just kind of like reading, you know, talking the talk, but like <laughs> saying yeah. the same words, but like maybe they're kind of burnt out or they don't really know the value that it brings. And so I think that is really important that that's something that's really cool about Stack Overflow because it's so widely known and 
so easily accessible and has such this massive community that I'm sure that like 99.9% of the employees were using it before, before yeah. they were there and they can really understand and like see that impact. So that's a pretty cool position to be in. It, it really is. And it's not even just the stack overflow part, our whole stack exchange network from super user to even math.stackexchange.com. Uh, even if you're not in the engineering department, someone at our company at some time are asking questions somewhere or and giving answers somewhere within our community. Mm -hmm. So that's that extra part of when someone introduces a feature or or tries to pitch a new idea. We're not even thinking of it as how do we implement it? Like, well, do I want this on one of the tools in my tool belt for when I code? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so going back a little bit to just kind of leading a team and um, mm. you were talking about functionality between different teams and and different you know verticals within your company. Is there, do you have any sort of tips or things that you've learned have really worked when it comes to blending the different visions from the engineering and product teams to kind of make sure everyone is on the same page and, and working towards the same goal? And I'm, I'm sure the bigger the teams are and the bigger the company is like the more complicated that 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 can get. And like, I'm sure people sometimes are going in all different directions, but just curious what you've seen either works or doesn't work with just like making sure that those two are aligned. The biggest part is really understanding the value proposition that you're trying to do. And like I said before, technology is just one part of a larger way that we're generating value for users. And this is where having a great product vision and understanding the proposition you're trying to give to the users is really important. So people can keep that in mind as we're sizing stories or thinking, even going through code reviews, um, knowing how a product might evolve and, and the other directions it'll go is really important so that you can share that between product design, QA, and development, that there's that kind of cohesive vision. And I, I, I say that in like a couple sentences, but it's a huge lift to do that, right? Because everyone's coming from their different points of view. And even just as human beings, the different nuances of how we view that problem and that solution. So a lot of that is um, really trying to align, uh, making sure there's some face-to-face -face communication in this more and more asynchronous world that we're in, just finding times for some synchronous talks, whiteboarding digitally or in person, um, and just you know, kind of keeping that vision going together. Um, but secondly, in the size of the organization, um, it, it's sort of the same challenges that you have at a smaller organization, um, but just shifting. And to give an example, when I worked at the startup at a very small place, we had to worry about releases, about process, about the quality, but a lot of these were manual and sometimes quicker to do manually than setting up longer processes that would do them for us by themselves and automatically. As you shift to a larger and larger organization, especially as a leader, you also have to shift your mindset around those things of how much manual time are my engineers taking up doing these things? The problem still exists. The, the nature of the problem hasn't changed. It's just how you want to go about solving it. Uh, that's why more and more we see a lot of focus on DevOps and SREs and dev tooling to save these people time, uh, to let our engineers focus more on solving problems as opposed to some of the, the rudimentary things. And that's sort of the struggle as we get larger, not only in engineering, but also how do we automate uh, relationships between design and QA to kind of let them know what things are going to be before they have to manually look at it and go through it. Um, without taking out the human aspect of it, 
how much can we standardize our design specs, our uh, architecture design reviews? How much can these be normalized and familiar to everyone so it doesn't become more and more of a manual process? So say that to people who may be on smaller teams now, the problems that you're tackling now, they don't go away. You just start solving them in different ways. Um, right. uh, something that comes up a lot of saying, well, this is the way like Netflix does it or Microsoft does it. Like, well, yeah, they're similar problems, but they're solving it for totally different scenarios. Yeah. Uh, I've seen a lot of people try to say, let's copy the architecture of Netflix. I'm like, we're not Netflix. We're a 10-person <laughs> development shop. We shouldn't solve these problems the same way. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, that's a great point is just because something is working really, really well for another organization doesn't mean that that, that it's going to be like the one size fits all. And I mean, while it's definitely important, I think, for people to get advice and feedback and like stay knowledgeable about what's happening out there and either have mentors or like be reading blogs or part of a community, but don't take it as the end all be all like here's exactly the protocol we should follow and we'll be successful. Because as you said, you're managing it depends on the size, the product, the different personalities and, and things like that. Um, so that certainly makes sense. And then I like the earlier point about making sure that everyone is on the same page about what the value add is and what the goal is and kind of like, why are we all doing this? I think that's something I see our dev team doing a lot is they'll have a conversation in a Slack, for example, and someone will ask someone to do something or make a change. And then they'll try to follow up pretty quickly and be like, for context, here's why I'm asking you this, or here's why we are implementing this change and kind of explain like from a sales perspective, or like, here's what this customer feedback had. And I think just giving that context of like why we're doing what we're doing and sometimes stopping and like looking up and making sure we all understand is, is a huge game changer, as you said. I love that. Uh, I think that <laughs> That that's two very underrated words for context. It solves a whole lot of things, puts away some assumptions and, and yeah. keeps people aligned. I love that example. I think that's something that people should model of like with requests or updates, just throwing in like, hey, just a little background of why I want to do this. Yeah. It can go a long way and get ahead of a lot of problems. Yeah. Yeah. And it's probably really easy to forget to do because you know, the to-do list is never ending and, and we're all busy <laughs> and you want to just get it done. But as you said, like taking that extra minute probably makes a world of a difference. Um, so yeah, I guess kind of just adding on to some of like the tips that you, you've already mentioned. I think we talked about this a little bit early on too, which is people that are starting out their career thinking about getting into mm. to coding, but is there any advice if you were looking back that you would give your younger self or like any tips that you would, you know, if a dev was saying that they do want to follow this similar trajectory and like become an, an engineering manager, or if they're trying to figure out if that's the right path for them, like anything that just kind of looking back, you realize you have these aha moments or wish someone told you. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's a great question. Um, I mean, in the, the big one that we've hinted at before was, you know, I, I wish I could have reminded myself of not being afraid to fail and break things. Yeah. We've joked, it's not a real policy, but we've joked around, you know, we should make part of our onboarding process at Stack. Someone takes down prod, just get it out of the way. It's <laughs> yeah. going to happen. The site, you're, you're going to make a mistake. Um, we'd, we've never actually do that, but it's more of the idea of getting away from that fear of failure, of making a yeah. mistake. I wish I could have reinforced that, that to myself when I was early on. Because it did dissuade me from trying new things. Mm -hmm. I, I stuck with some familiar technology for a while just because it was known. I knew I wasn't going to mess up. But uh, especially once I, I kind of got uh, closer to a senior level, 
I'm dealing with multiple languages, multiple code bases, multiple different ways that we're even organizing and coding things. Um, and that really gave me a good base for leveling up for other things. Uh, th those new viewpoints really started to pay off. So I wish I could have told myself to be more forthcoming with that. Mm -hmm. um, the other thing I, I really encourage and mentor people around as they grow is, um, is in finding a mentor or your manager, your boss, that uh, don't be afraid to ask for things. And for example, we set every job I've been at, we set goals for learning and growing as an individual. You have to make sure that your company and your boss is just as invested in those goals as you are. Uh, I can really think of a time when uh, someone that was my manager is still one of my mentors now of it kind of he kept asking me, well, what do you need? I'm like, well, I never thought of it that way. I always thought I was always trying to help the company achieve what it wants. But he was asking me, what do you need? I'm like, well, I could use more time to work on this. He's like, no, no, no. I meant for you to grow. What do you need? And then when I started thinking about, I need more time to work on this. So I would love to take this class or some new equipment. He's like, mm -hmm. sure, done. I'm like, wow. Okay. And, the, and as I try to do that with every other place I went to of like, hey, I could really level up or grow more as an engineer if I had X, Y, or Z or more time, or if I could pair program with someone else on another team. It's a great example that people should uh, look into doing. Um, sometimes the answer is yes. And sometimes the answer is no. Um, kind of goes back to something I talk about in my teams and psychological safety. A big part of that is uh, don't be afraid to ask for a yes, but you also can't be crushed if the answer is no. Right. So I want you to feel okay asking for these things if it's going to help you to grow. Um, and lastly, when I think I really took a turn to be kind of more senior, getting into the staff and manager level, is um, being in a place where I'm getting ahead of problems. Uh, mm -hmm. where I can really work independently. I'm identifying problems before they come up. And um, like before I have to go to my boss or some other higher level engineer, I'm already getting ahead of the problem for them saying, hey, I identified this. I've done these easy steps. Anything else you want to add? So giving visibility to what we've done, but really getting ahead of the problems for them. When you feel comfortable to start doing that, uh, that shows a lot of independence. And if you want to get into a leadership role, knowing that you can set the tone for other people like that, that's a big point that we look for. Um, a lot of people mentor and guide in a one-on-one -on -one setting in a meeting. A lot of people also do it just by their actions or their code reviews or the code that they're doing. There's a lot of different ways to lead. And that's something that we look for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think all of those are really great tips. It seems like the first two are very centered around, as you said, just not being afraid, like not being afraid of different things yeah. in general. And I think that kind of circles back to imposter syndrome that a lot of people talk about. And just, especially if you're newer at an organization and trying to prove yourself. Um, but yeah, it seems like any good manager that is truly caring about the growth of the individual, as you said, not just the growth of the organization mm -hmm. would be one to understand that people are going to make mistakes and that you're looking for the fact that they learn from that and don't do the exact same thing in the future versus like never making any mistakes, never changing, never growing, and just kind of doing the same thing the whole time. That's a great point. Very well said. And even another aspect of um, kind of wearing the mistake on there uh, as a, a badge of honor. So other people learn from it. Like, yeah. it's okay. Like we're all going to make mistakes. Here's what someone else did. Let's make sure we all learn from it. And it not being a point of shame, but almost a point of pride of, Hey, we all got a mistake out of the way by yeah. what this person learned. So yeah. trying to share that knowledge and knowledge transfer, really important. Yeah, I think that's one thing that's been kind of interesting with the growth of 
social media and like online, just com mm. different communities around programming is, you know, all the memes that are making fun of people, <laughs> like the common mistakes that they make. And I, like, I think that that's a way that people connect is maybe sometimes they're being sarcastic or being dramatic, but um, being able to like joke about those things that have happened, as you said, to help under other people understand, like, you're not alone. We all do this. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. okay. We can laugh about it after the fact. <laughs> like, let's, let's move forward. And I, I think that's one thing that's um, fun about the community is like, there's kind of this humor around it too of, of here's the stereotypical things and here's, <laughs> you know, the, the things we all do. And um, so I see a lot of those like same themes come up, I think. Yeah, I do too. And it's, I mean, that's how memes work, right? Because there's a shared experience around them that <laughs> yeah. we can all relate to. And that self-awareness and almost self-degradation humor, it's something we can all relate to, give it enough time. So you junior engineers listening to this, you're going to get there too. You're going to make <laughs> these same mistakes. You're going to see it as well. Um, and for the senior folks, yeah, we've all been there. We've all made our mistakes and just like kind of learning from it and leaning on each other to make it a shared experience is a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Yep, exactly. Awesome. So I guess just pivoting a little, um, one thing I always like to ask folks is if there's any specific technologies or frameworks or um, like just even subjects or whatever it might be that, that you're really excited about right now or wanting to dig into or like looking forward to that's coming out next year or something that's just like been on your to-do list. Because obviously with technology, there's it's constantly changing and there's no way to keep up with everything that's happening. And so I, I really like it at, to use this as like a guide of what are these really smart people that like come on and chat with me actually think <laughs> is going to be a game changer or like actually interested in at the moment. Well, um, I don't know about smart people, but I can tell you what I'm interested in. Uh, I mean, for me, I, uh, for instance, .NET 8 was released not too long ago, and mm -hmm. I've really been looking at Blazor as a front-end framework. Um, just calling myself out, the front-end has never been my strength. If I never have to write CSS again, I would not be <laughs> sad about it. Um, but uh, this doesn't, and this doesn't solve that problem, but it's a kind of a new way, a new technology of how can we combine server-side rendering with uh, front-end templating, I think is an exciting place to go. Uh, there was kind of a bounce back and forth uh, for like three years ago, maybe even less than that. Uh, these single page application frameworks were really popular. From, um, you just saw them everywhere. It was Svelte and Vue and React. And they were really great. They they added a whole lot of tooling for how people could build things. And then the kind of server-side rendering came back into kind of showing kind of the good parts of that, the problems it solved and took away some of the complexity some of those front-end frameworks had. And now with Blazor trying to combine the kind of pros and cons to that, I, I think that's an interesting take to, to see how that catches on and, and if it goes one way or the other. Um, and then of course, on I mean, what everyone's talking about now, just how AI fits into all of that is mm -hmm. really interesting. Um, I mean, we've had some coding assistance for a while with Copilot. It's been around for a little while. That's been a really cool tool for to shortcut and accelerate some development. And But now with things like GPT or Find and even Stack uh, Overflow AI, which is a product that we're doing, to, how can AI assist in development? And how does the whole industry land on that? How does this affect people from the junior level to the senior level? It's a really interesting take of, of where it's going to settle. Some people are saying how it's going to eliminate jobs and replace people. I personally don't see it, see it that way. I see it as leveling up junior people a little bit faster. 
mm-hmm. um, and maybe changing the nature of some of the senior development of of maybe writing less code as much as checking the code that is outputted or, or done from some of the more junior folks or even automated places. I think everyone's going to be writing code for at least a couple more decades. We're not getting out of that. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> we're still going to be writing code. Um, but where some of the code is generated and scaffolded from, I think is going to keep increasing to solve some of these known problems earlier to, mm-hmm. to accelerate some of the development and hopefully democratize some of app development. Because right now, if you want to make your own custom application, um, like before you had to go through, like have a team, maybe there's some ways we can shortcut that of that team can focus on the difficult problems while maybe some of the more simpler things AI can assist with. And who knows how that's going to land, but it's an exciting time to figure out how that's going to go. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's kind of been the overarching theme I've seen as the response to people that, do seem to talk about how they're afraid of, of AI making certain jobs not, not be necessary yeah. or eliminating, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not that it's going to eliminate them, but it's going to free up time so that these people can now mm-hmm. focus on other more important things, which as you said, is kind of the same thing as saying so that they can level up faster and not have to like focus so much on the nitty gritty. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, I don't think in our lifetimes that we're going to see like <laughs> all these jobs being eliminated and all the like, full functions being taken over. But um, it, yeah, I think it's like with anything that comes this quickly in tech, like it should be taken with a grain of salt. And if you get a response from some sort of AI generator or something, like you should be double checking and and still oh, realizing that that's not the end all be all. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's a really interesting thing because uh, like I was saying, the place where the junior engineer or senior engineer fits in, someone was telling me that they're worried that junior engineers might lose some value because of some simple things being done and senior engineers will be more valued but the like senior there's only one place senior engineers come from and that's from junior engineers yeah. that like they, they don't come out that way so there's still going to be a a learning curve there in a place where that how a junior engineer learns and their trajectory is going to be different i think that that's pretty confident like four or five years me just sitting in a room coding when I was junior, just to try to learn things, that's going to be shortcutted a little bit of how do they use these tools to help generate the code that they want and save problems. Mm -hmm. But you also touched on a very good point of checking the output of the AI. The human element of that is not going away. We had a very interesting survey done on Stack Overflow where I think 80, 85% of people plan on having AI be in their tool set for how they write code but only 42% of people trusted the output of AI. And that's a huge difference, right? Yeah. Like, there's something I'm using, but I don't trust it. Yeah, um, I'm just using it just to, to see what happens, but I'm still going <laughs> to do it the way I've always done it. Yes. So to me, that doesn't mean, that's not even downplaying the potential of AI, but I think it's a huge highlight that the nature of how it's going to be used is, has to shift. Uh, which is where like a lot of the people come into it, like the community in Stack Overflow, we have human generated responses. Mm-hmm. And how can we use that to have like a, a person somewhere in that process help create the AI response that people can trust and rely on? So I don't even think it's a capability issue with AI right now as much as a trust issue. And, well, you know, maybe that is part of its capability of doing things in a way that people can trust. But um yeah, it's going to be just exciting to see how all that fits in and how we can use it. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. It's it's almost like you guys are at Stack Overflow sitting on a landmine of like all this knowledge and, and all the, this info and all these answers. And as you said, how can we translate that into 
being an AI generated response, because I mean, that's what it is. That's what AI is. It's pulling from all these places all around all these places from the internet. And some of them are accurate and some of them are not. And so, yeah, how can we like utilize this community and the success you've had with the reach and everything to then feed into that and generate that? I think that's an interesting yeah. kind of feedback loop to think about. <laughs> yeah. So all these people worried about being replaced. We need you. This, yeah. this AI doesn't work without you. It, that's where it gets its information. Another kind of a uh, something that was interesting, there was a, a JavaScript framework that was released, a new version of it that came out. And um, obviously, since it was new, it had new capabilities, new documentation, the the large language models and Gen AI stuff had not picked up on it yet. So there was a huge spike in questions on Stack Overflow about it. And knowing like, this is where people have to go to to work with each other and generate this information. And I'm sure in time, a lot of that stuff that was generated by those people that they couldn't get anywhere else we'll start feeding into these large language models. So just reminder, engineers, we, we need you to keep generating this information. This knowledge repository is, we all depend on you to keep all technology moving. So keep training, <laughs> mentoring, and sharing your knowledge. That's a great, um, a great note to, you know, uplifting note, I think, when it comes to this conversation, because as you said, some people can be fearful. So that's a good reminder. And I, you already did kind of answer the next thing I was going to ask anyway, which was just like predictions for software development over the next five, 10, 15 years, which I kind of assume that most people are going to jump to that AI discussion anyway. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely going to be part of it, right? Yeah. Uh, to, to reiterate, it's going to be in there, but how we use it is just fascinating and not even just in development. There's obviously a whole lot of steps from design how can we automate QA things, documentation creation, mm -hmm. um, just having played with it. AI has a lot of capabilities around those things, but um, it, it never gets it a hundred, at least in my experience, it, it never gets it a hundred percent right. Yeah. Which is why we have to keep, you know, um, fine tuning it. And we need these professional people to, to verify the answer. So, uh, but I, I do think that's going to be a big part of it. Um, the other thing I think that's going to uh, keep increasing is uh, a shift in uh, the quality assurance part of all of our mm -hmm. code. I think that that over time now, the things that we can automate, I think is gonna keep growing. At least this is something that I'm seeing with some of my peers and we've talked about it, of trying to increase like testing coverage and everything. There's a whole bunch of tools that already do that, but how can we start leveling that up? I right. think there's a lot of great tools that do things around that, but how can AI or any other tool just kind of make that to another level of, um, automated browsing, trying to simulate human behavior, because uh, we can script things and test against that. But the things that get through is people doing things that we never thought or actions that we didn't think were even possible. How can we find some new tool sets around that to add more um, confidence in our applications? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, the it's these tools that are going to continue to make our lives easier and optimize our time and and change maybe the way we do things, but as it sounds like what you're saying is the very core structure of the way software development happens is not necessarily going to change drastically. It's just like the way we complete each step of the process might get more streamlined and we might continue to have these tools that make it easier and easier. Exactly. Because it, it, a really positive in my book, <laughs> it just seems like it's only good things continuing to come to make things easier. <laughs> yeah. As long as you can enable these engineers and these smart people to keep like focusing on the the challenges and creative problem solving that they want to do, it's it's only a good thing, and that's what we're trying to lean into as yeah. an industry. Just lean into these new tools that help us do what we want to do. Awesome. 
Well, I think that's a, a really good note to end on I, as we get towards kind of the end of our time here. Um, I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come chat. I know um, things are probably super busy and there's a lot going on over at Stack Overflow. So really appreciate it um, and look forward to keeping in touch and seeing what new exciting stuff you guys are coming out with. For sure. Thank you, Margo. It was a great chat. Thanks for listening to Select Star, your resource for innovative technology and developer topics. You can find our episodes in all the usual places, Spotify, Apple, Google, RSS, and YouTube. Don't forget to rate, comment, subscribe, and share. You can learn more about HarperDB at harperdb.io.